So we began the series um, a year and a half ago in looking at it with the shadow of Christ, the life of Christ, the return of Christ, the reign of Christ, in that spiritual reign, talking about the fact that when Christ reigns in us spiritually, then we are going to begin to reflect him in our life. So when Christ is residing and reigning in your heart, it's going to be reflected in your life. What we say and how we live is a reflection of who or what is living in in our hearts. And so two weeks ago, we began looking at the reflection of Christ in our finances. A couple weeks ago, we looked at it in our words. Two weeks ago, we began looking at the reflection of Christ in our, our finances. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth for where, where the moth and rust doth destroy and where thieves break and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and then he goes on and says at the end you cannot serve god and mammon the fact is then we talked about the, that first week on the on the reflection of our words is that whatever in our hearts going to come out of our mouth well jesus says here that clearly wherever our heart is at whatever is really important to us that's really where we're going to put our money you know how they always say, put your money where your mouth is. And so if your mouth is a reflection of your heart, the reality is you're going to be putting your money where your your heart is. Does that make sense? And so in that, we began to look at some principles of, of how that's reflected, biblical principles of how that is going to be reflected then in our life. And so first we looked at the, the principle of lordship. And Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You're going to serve one or the other. You're going to hate one or the other. And so you can't serve God and mammon. And we talked about how the fact that that word mammon is the Greek word, which means the things that money buys. It's materialism is really what the word mammon means. And mammon actually is the Greek word. It's a transliteration, not a translation of that word. And so so you have the principle of lordship. And that, the question is, who is the lord of your wallet? Who's the lord of your money? Who's the lord of your bank account? Who really t- pulls the strings if you would, in states where things go. Well, that goes on within the ownership, the principle of ownership, and that God owns everything. I really don't own anything. I think I own a house. I think I own a car. But ultimately, I don't own anything. And if I understand things biblically, God owns them all. And he has given to me as a steward that I can be the, the manager, if you would, the steward of the things that God has given us. Well, if that's the case, that leads us then into that the third principle of discipleship, and that is, who, excuse me, whose counsel am I listening to to know how I should distribute and how I should um, uh, function with the the resources that he's given to me? Um, Larry Burkett has died and passed on. Great, um, great stuff. Um, a lot of people like to use Dave Ramsey. I understand that. But the, ultimately the question is, if you are Jesus' disciple, are you seeking after Jesus' counsel? I'm not asking whether you're a Ramseyite or whether you're a Burkettite. Make sense? I mean, we could do things according to Dave Ramsey's plan. We could do things according to Larry Burkett or Crown Financial plan, okay? And, and we could be disciples of those folks. But the question is, do you honestly know whether they are following biblical principles to teach you about. And so as those who call themselves Christians or disciples of Christ, we ought to be desiring to know what he taught and spending time in his word to understand his principles. And so then as we go into the fourth principle, which we began last week, the principle of stewardship, then 
we want to, to begin looking at, well, what does he say in his word about how I am supposed to be that steward of the resources he's given us? And so last week we looked at the ministration of those resources, the overarching concepts. And that is, we saw, that it is, it is required in a steward that he be found faithful. And we talked about that word pistos in the Greek, which means worthy of trust. You have to be trustworthy. And it's interesting that a lot of um, money accounts are called trust accounts. You put money into the trust account. Well, because somebody's going to be holding a what? A trust. Okay? And somebody's going to be stewarding those funds. Okay? And so we think about it a lot of times when we go to put money into the, a money market or whatever. We want to know who's going to be the what? The trustee, the manager over that account. What is his philosophy of investments? How is he going to be using the money? Uh, what companies is he going to be taking my money and investing it in there? Make sense? And so there are all these different money markets that are out there, and we want to know what their philosophies are and who are the people. And every year I get a new prospectus on, on my money market. I don't have a whole lot of money in it, but they, they just it doesn't matter. I've got money in. So they send me this big, thick thing, portfolio kind of thing, talking to me, telling me who the manager is and if they change the manager, who the new manager is and what his or her um, philosophies are and da-da-da-da-da. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about that. And so last week we also then talked about the acquisition of our financial resources. What does the Bible say about gaining those resources? And we talked about honesty. We talked about contentment. Do you remember all that? Okay. And so we talked about those character traits that should be represented in us as we're seeking to make money. Integrity, we, we talked about, is who you are when what? No one's looking. Okay? Well, it's the same thing with, uh, with the money. I had the opportunity this week as well, Home Depot. I mentioned last week something about Home Depot. This week, I, I, I got the, we were working on a roof, and I got, I don't know, almost $200 worth of supplies, and I didn't need to use hardly any of it. And so I wound up... It was good for the customer. I took it all back and was able to take all that, that back for them. But when I took it back, okay, some of the stuff I took back were little furring strips. Some of you guys will understand what those are, little one-by-two kind of concepts. And, and I went in, and as she was scanning in the stuff I was bringing back, she said, this isn't on the receipt. And I said, I just bought it this morning. It's got to be on that receipt. And she looked at everything. She says, nope, it's not on the receipt. I says, well, you know what that means? She says, What? I said, that means that they let me walk out without paying for it. She didn't scan this stuff. She says, huh. I said, well, I said, I said, so that one's yours, no big deal. I said, but when we're done here, I need to buy one. She says, huh? I says, well, I, said, I bought two. Well, no, I didn't buy two because they didn't, you didn't charge me for two. Nobody scanned it. But I did walk out of the store with two of these things, and one of them's on the roof of the job I just did. <laughs> so I have one. I said, and so I'd like to buy one. She looked at me like, really? And I said, well, I said, otherwise it's stealing. You know, I said, and I just told the church last week, I said, integrity is who you are when, when nobody else is watching. And I said, and my name's worth a little bit more than 75 cents. You know? And so she rang it up, and with tax, it was 80 cents. So, um, um, and so I have an 80 cent charge on my Discover bill, you know? Anyways, um, but... It's, it's important, you know, and it's a testimony to her and to the other people that are standing there helping, listening to me reason this out with them why I should pay for this furring strip. Because I, I bought it. No, I didn't really buy it. I, I have it, though, and so I should have bought it, and so therefore let me pay, pay you the money for it. And, uh, and so as I asked you last week, 
would you go back in? If Kroger ripped you off by $10, you went out and you realized that they overcharged you $10, you'd probably go back in and say, wait a second, I should get $10 back. But if you realized that they undercharged you $10, would you just praise the Lord for the extra $10? Or would you go back in because the weights that you're using, the scale that you're using, is the same, whether it's in your favor or not in your favor? Again, we're coming up to tax time. <laughs> and now is the hard time to decide, oh, well, you know, if I... Uh, you know, careful. What is your name worth? A good name is rather to be had than much silver and gold. Today we want to begin looking at the appropriation of financial resources. What does what the appropriation of financial resources mean? It, it's a big fancy term that starts with an A and ends with a shin that means what? How are you going to spend it? How are you going to spend that money? The appropriation. We have in, in Congress these appropriation committees and stuff like that. But Basically, what that really means is they're, they're going to get together and they're going to talk about how they're going to spend your, your money and my money. Okay, And so in that appropriations then, as we begin to look at it, the very first thing that we should understand is the priority in all of our spending or ought to be this priority in all of our spending because he ought to be the priority in all my life is God. Now, I think it's interesting. This isn't in your, in your sermon note sheets. This isn't one we're going to be putting up here. But very clearly, Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus is talking to the church of Ephesus, and he talks to the church of Ephesus, and he says to him, he says, I know your works, and I know all these things, and I, I, I know that you have, you have, um, you have tested those who said that they're, they're prophets, and they're, and you found them to be what? False. They're not. And, um, so anyways, and so he said, I, you've tested them, you found them to be what? You've found them to be false. He says, this is awesome stuff, and it would be really great to read this on the epitaph on our tombs, that, Jesus has, has saw, looked at us, he saw us, he knows us, he knows that we're seeking to be doctrinally pure, he knows that we're trying to be morally pure, he knows that we're looking after for all these other things, but Jesus didn't stop there. And he said, however, I have this one thing against you. One thing. He says, you've lost your first love. You lost your first love, your greatest love. He says, and if you don't repent and return from whence you have fallen, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your candlestick. When Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment of the law, he didn't have to stop, he didn't have to stutter, he didn't have to think. He said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, to love God. God is supposed to be my number one priority in everything I do. And that ought to be reflected not only in my mouth with my speech, but it needs to be reflected in my my wallet. And God says then in his word, and we're going to see this, that he deserves, he requires us to give him the very first of everything that we receive. We're going to look at three principles in this um, the spending money but spending money in the principle with with the concept of god god being the priority in our spending now we've got four other areas we're going to look at not today and you're saying praise the lord that's next week okay um and so but there's enough to talk about what god says about money in, in his relationship to it that well i can talk for two hours today but i won't <laughs> maybe so first we want to look at first fruits turn with me back to the beginning of the bible genesis chapter 4 in Genesis chapter 4, we read about, this is right after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, and, and they begin having children, and they have the first two that we're told about, okay, again, we're not told about all the children that they've had, only the ones that are 
important to the story, to the account that is the Bible re- relates to. And here we're told about Cain and Abel. Okay, In the beginning of verse 3, we read, that in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to Yahweh, to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And Yahweh respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, we could read the rest of it, and we could talk about what went on there, but that's that's beside that would be a side track, and i got a lot of stuff to share today, so I can't allow myself to get any sidetracks that I'd love to get into. But what I really want to talk about is this, in the process of time, that Abel and Cain did what? They brought in offering. Not a sacrifice. No. See, that, but no, that's well, that's the side thing I want to get into, and I don't have time to get into. Okay? But a lot of people think that Cain's wasn't accepted because it wasn't a blood sacrifice. Important here, in the Greek, there are numerous words for sacrifice or offering. The word here, here used is mincha. Mincha. A mincha is only talking about a general offering. It's talking about a tribute, if you would, um, a um, an oblation that you would give to either a deity or to a ruler. Okay, it's, so it's kind of like a duty kind of thing that you're bringing to to one who has required it. Okay, it's not talking about a sin sacrifice. That would be an olah, which is um, something that is irrevocably given over unto God. Okay, and so and that is the term that is used in the book of Leviticus referring to the sin sacrifice. It's not a she, and a she is a burnt sacrifice, and so that is a sacrifice that is offered up by fire. It's not a korban. Now, it sounds like my name, but it's close, but a little bit different. It's not a korban, which is just a general offering. This is a mincha, okay? And so there are some others as well scattered in there, um, Hebrew words, but there's about a half dozen of them that refer to the different sacrifices. And what's important about this is it leads us to understand what's happening here. It was not, I don't think, based upon those terms. If it was an Olah or an Ashi, I would say that Cain was probably wrong because he didn't bring the blood sacrifice. Okay, But because it's a minka, and that's the word that is used for free will offerings and peace offerings, Okay, I believe what's happening here is that it was okay for him to bring a grain offering. That's what the book of Leviticus would call that. But the difference between his grain offering and um, Abel's offering from the flocks is that we're told in the Hebrew, and it comes across in the English, that Cain only brought some of, a piece of, a part of the grain. But Abel brought the firstborn, the firstling, the first of his flocks. He brought the first fruits, is what the point is. He brought the first and the best of what he had. Cain, on the other hand, brought the leftovers. Do you get it? Now, you apply that, okay, as we're going to be looking at this, in our finances. God requires of us the first portion, the best portion, the very beginning portion, not what's left over at the end of the week, not what's left over at the end of the month. He wants the the first. He wants the best. He wants the beginning of it. In Exodus 34, 26, we read that he tells the children of Israel, he says, the first, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of Yahweh your God. So now he's not saying just the first fruits. He's saying very clearly, I want the what? I want the best of the best. I want the first of the first. 
And so the question I'm going to ask you as we go into this, when you get paid, when you get paid, when you do your finances, what's the first, and I hate to use the term bill because it's not a bill, what's the first check that you write? Where do you spend your money first? Is it to God? Is God the first love of your life? Or does God get the, the leftovers? Jesus said to the church of Ephesus, he said, listen, you lost your first love. And if you don't repent and return from once you've fallen, I'm going to remove your glory. I think the same thing applies to us individually. If God is not the priority in my life, if he's not the first thing in my life, then he will hold me accountable. If I'm really his child, he will hold me accountable in that. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, we read, And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first, the firsts, the priorities of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you. What, do you read something redundant here? What's God doing? He's what? He's giving it to you. And all you're doing is bringing what? Part of it back. You're just bringing part of back what he's given to you. And put into the basket and go to the place where Yahweh your God chooses to make his name abide. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand, set it down before the altar of Yahweh your God, and shall, you shall say, you shall say before Yahweh your God, My father was a Syrian about to perish. He went down to Egypt and dwelt there, a few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to Yahweh our God, Yahweh, uh, Yahweh Elohim of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and signs and wonders. And he has brought us into this place and has given to us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Do you see that this, this giving of first fruits before God, this offering of the firstlings, if you would, was twofold. First of all, there's a recognition of God's provision of, of everything you have, the produce of the land. Listen, you only have this money to give back to God because he gave it to you. I mean, giving an offering to God is not so magnanimous on your part. Do you get it? I mean, sometimes we think we're so magnanimous because we're giving to God these, you know, and we, and we bring down the, you know, you know, notice we have the offering box basket in the back. We don't pass a plate. The reason is because there's, it's nothing about me. We're not putting it in so everybody else can see. If you're not bringing it in because it's an act of worship, and we're going to talk about that in a second here, an act of worship before God, then it's, it's for the wrong reason. The reason you should be giving to the Lord is because it's an act of worship for what he has given to you. But know what's contained within this as well, that the, that Moses is, is, is sharing with the people when you share this. Now, this is what God has given to him to share with the people. And that is, it's a remembrance not only of this produce that he's given to them, but also the provision of salvation. His deliverance. He said, looky, I, this is who I was in, in Abraham. I was, this is who I was. Abraham was, was in Syria. He was on the other side of the river. He was a nobody, but you called him. You, you know, when he was in need, he went down to Egypt. You made him into a, a mighty, no, not, 
Abraham at that point, it was Jacob, you know, going down in there, and you made him into a, a mighty nation, and then you brought him out of Egypt. You brought out this entire nation with all these signs and wonders. We know them as the what? The plagues. Remember the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and how the entire Egyptian army was 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 um, was drowned in, into into that, and so that even the rest of the nations heard about it. They 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 found out about it. What God, their God, had done. Okay. Well, this is a remembrance of, of who God is and what he's done for you. Look, if you are a child of God, if you really know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you understand who you used to be, or you should, and who you are now. And I ask you, what's it worth to you? It's worth all of eternity. If you understand who you were and who you are now, then you should understand that laying up treasures on the earth is what? It's meaningless. You can have the bigger house, a tent or a cottage. Why should I care? He's building a mansion for me over there. I love the song. It doesn't matter what I'm living in here. I mean, I know. I got the flesh too. And there's times when it'd be nice to have just what? A little bit more. Isn't that the secret of discontentment? (laughs) Or the definition of it? Not contentment, but discontentment. I want just a little bit more. Because every time I get just a little bit more, I want just a little bit more. Does that make sense? And so, and so, in Christ then, I should be content with what I have here because I know that ultimately I'm laying up treasures there. And so if God is the priority in my life, then He will get the priority of my finances. He will be the first thing that I want to contribute toward. And you say, how do I have to contribute toward God? We'll get there. But, he, it's, it's his plan, his purposes, that I ought to be seek to be coming alongside, okay? Nehemiah 12. Turn with me to, to the book of Nehemiah. We are studying the book of Nehemiah in Sunday school, in the at least adult Sunday school time. But in Nehemiah chapter 12, look at verses 43 and 44. In Nehemiah 12, verses 43 and 44, it says, Also in that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The woman and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouses for the, now understand, look at what it says, for the offerings, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather them in from the fields of the city in portions specified by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. So, now, Nehemiah is in this time when Israel is coming back into the land, and they are restarting all the stuff that God had, had established for them back in the days of Moses that we just read in Deuteronomy. And Nehemiah declares that when they got together and they set stewards apart to, in order to, to deal with the, the monies that were coming in to, for God's service, there were three different kinds of givings, if you would, that were to be given to God. There were the offerings the tithes, and the first fruits. We've looked at the first fruits. The first fruits refer to that which is from the beginning. And so note then, there are still two more after the first fruits. God's saying, look, the first fruits belong to, to me. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on and talks about the what? The tithes. Now, hmm. This really gets to be a sticky wicket, especially in New Testament churches, you know? You're going to say, well, it's New Testament principles, and da-da-da-da-da, and, and here you are, you're going to the what? 
the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. I want to ask you a question. Has God ever changed his standards? No, of course not. I mean, but it's amazing that on the conservative side of the house, if you would, we, we know that and we like to tell people because, you know, because there are a lot of people in the world today that say God's standards have changed. So homosexuality is okay now. Okay? And, and we say, no! How do you know? Because it's in God's word. Well, how do you know it hasn't changed? How do you know that change, change gears from that? How do you know that Joseph Smith's writings aren't true? I mean, and this week, actually, was it this week or last week, I had the opportunity to talk to another Jehovah Witness who came to my door. I was excited. I told her, I'm so glad that you came so I could share the truth with you. And, you know, but how do I know that they're not true? How do I know that they're, because, you know, they got further revelation, right? That's what they claim, isn't it? Isn't, isn't that what the Mormons claim with Joseph, Joseph, Joseph Smith? Is that the Bible was corrupted, and so God came to Joseph Smith, and he gave him new revelation in order to clean up the Bible so that we could understand it right? Well, how do I know that's not right? Because I'm going to go back to what? God's word, and I'm going to say that God's standards don't what? Change. Well, why do we then, as dispensationalists, like to just cut off the Old Testament and say that God's standards changed? Well, it's not says specifically in the New Testament, tithe. It is. And I'll share with you. And I'll share at that time why they discount that one as well. But the fact is, I think a lot of people want to take the, use the quote-unquote liberty, grace that God has given to us, and not use it in order to minister to one another, as Galatians 5 says, that our liberty was given to us so we can serve others, but rather that we can use it as an occasion for the flesh. So I can use it now, all this money on me, and not for God's purpose of why he's given me the funds. So what does it say in God's word about tithing? Well, again, back in the book of Genesis, chapter 14, we read about Abraham, and Abraham um, got word that that his nephew Lot was taken captive when when the five kings came against the four kings and Cato Larimer and, and, and the rest of his cronies came up and they, they attacked um, Sodom and Gomorrah and the other um, cities of the valley and they took Lot as captive as well. And so Abraham went out with his 300-something um, servants along with Mamre and Eskel and, and, and Aner and with their servants and they went up and they, they did a surprise attack on these kings who were able to, to, to slaughter all these different cities and they did a surprise attack at night. God gave them the, the victory. God gave them the, the, the bounty there and, and, and they, they, they had this, this victory. And beginning in verse 14, we read, Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, his, he armed his 318 trained servants who were in, born into his house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. They went a long journey. This is not just they went across town. Okay, He divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobna, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all of the goods, all the, all the bounty. And he also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the, king, and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Cato-Larimer and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Hmm, bread and wine. Sounds like communion, doesn't it? Because he, he was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Avram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, that is Avram, gave him, that is Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Avram, 
Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of the heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Avram rich. Now, note what happens in here, though. Avram comes back from this great victory, from this great battle, and he has all this bounty, he has all this, this stuff. It's his. And, and the king of Sodom comes out, but before the king of Sodom can come out and try to negotiate, trying to get back all the booty, Melchizedek shows up. Who's Melchizedek? We're not really told, other than he is the what? King of Salem. He is the priest of the Most High God, okay? And so he comes, and he must be recognized as a priest of Yahweh at that time. He must be a worshiper of, of Yahweh, Elohim, okay? The, and, and he comes to Avram, and he says, Blessed art you, Avram, of the Lord God Most High, who has given you all these victories. Know what Avram does. Instantly, he gives the first tenth, the tithe, of everything he just got to the work of the Lord God Most High. This is before Moses. This isn't part of Israel. This isn't part of the Mosaic Law. You know, all the people say, well, that's just the law. Abraham's not under the law. Moses isn't going to be born for a couple hundred years later. Do you get it? Tithing existed before the law. It was a part of God's practices that, that those who worshipped him would give him a tenth of all that they received. Not just the first fruits, but now we're talking about the what? The first tenth of everything that they received. Turn to Numbers while you're there. Just turn a couple pages in your Bible toward the back to, to, to Numbers 18. Verse 25 and 26 says, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak thus to the Levites, and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes, which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. A tithe of the tithe. So let's, let's bring in the analogy here, okay? Now, we don't necessarily do it this way. Um, well, let, let's... But... The, conceptually, okay, we're a bigger church, okay, and um, and we have a staff of pastors, okay. What are they supposed to get paid according to the standard? A tenth of everybody's, okay. That that the tithe comes in, okay, to the to the church, and it's supposed to be paid to the to the pastors. Now we don't do that here because we have what we got a facility we got to pay for, we have ministries we pay for, okay, stuff like that. But technically, that means that everything that comes in, if you guys are tithing, if everybody's tithing, then when the tithe comes in, it should go to me. Now, that sounds tacky, and I, again, I don't preach that way, okay, because I sound really, I feel really tacky within myself by saying that, okay? And there's a lot of cults out there where guys are just trying to do what? Get people's money, okay? And so I'm not there, but understand this is what Jesus, or what God taught, okay? The people brought in the tithe, and it was given to the Levites. But what God told the Levites here was that when it comes in and you receive this, that I'm now requiring you to do what? Tithe. Tithe off the tithe. And I know a lot of pastors. Well, okay, I don't know a lot of them. I, I probably have known a couple of them, and I've heard of others who don't give. 
they justify it by saying to the church that the church has taken the tithe off of it already. I got a problem with that. Because again, what is the tithe? It's kind of like the first fruits. It's the recognition that God has done what for me? He's provided everything for me. It is an act of worship to God for what He has done for me. I don't, for, for Bob, and we'll, we'll talk about me maybe in a little bit. I'll give you a little illustration. I'm not going to tell you exactly what I give, but I'll give you some ideas, concepts here, because I think practically, you know, there's application that goes on here. And I can only talk about me. It's hard for me to talk about you. And um, I'll talk to you, but I'm not going to talk about you. How's that? And, and the reality is, for, for Bob, though, in this point, this is, a, this is an awesome opportunity. I, for Bob, I really am not a begrudging giver. I want to give to God because what he's given to me. I do recognize the fact that everything I have has come from him. I remember what it's like to, live, to have lived on the other side of the, the railroad tracks. I know who I was, and I know the struggles that I still have in my flesh because of that time that was there, and I pray for my kids that they don't allow themselves to go there so they're 30 years later not struggling with the same things in the brain that I struggle with. But the other side is because I've come from the other side of the railroad track, make sense? I think I have a greater appreciation of what God has saved me from than I think some of you younger Christians have. Because you don't know where you could be apart from God's grace in your life. And sometimes when that happens, you don't have the appreciation for God that someone who came from the other side of the road tracks has. And sometimes that appreciation is reflected in what? In your giving. And I'm, I don't count the money. I don't know who gives what. Okay? And so I'm just making a gen- generic statement that's out there. And statistically speaking, if you look at statistics from the Barna research and all that kind of stuff, giving is going down among the younger generations. Okay, so that's why I make that statement. So we had Numbers eighteen, twenty-five, and we also read in Malachi chapter three, verses six to twelve: "For I am the Lord; I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinance and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you," says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. But you say, okay, there's a conversation that God's speaking through Malachi to these people. And you say, in what shall we, shall we return? In other words, we haven't left you, God. God's saying, listen, if you return to me, I'll return to you. And you say what? <laughs> we haven't left you. How should we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. Whoa! Now we have a what? A serious accusation going on here, right? God says that, they, that these people who are called by his name have done what? They've robbed him. He says, yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. We'll come to the offerings in a moment. Let's talk about just the tithes for a moment. In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. Do you remember when Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness? And, and Satan told him to cast himself off the pinnacle because it says in the Word of God that you know that he would he wouldn't allow him to dash his foot and the angels would be there to, to let him down. Do you remember what Jesus said back to him? He says it says in the Word of God what? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shouldn't tempt the Lord your God. The only place in the Word of God that God ever said test me in this always always is in reference to. Are giving. He said, test me. 
Test me. Try me now on this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. This is an amazing thing. Listen, I've shared this in the past, but when I was in seminary, my, my expenditures on my budget was more than what I could perceive to get in on a monthly basis. But when I tithe, when I gave God my first fruit tithe, I always had more than enough to pay my bills, and I had a surplus. Mathematically, I'm a math major, right? I love math. It didn't make sense. How does it happen? I don't know. I just looked at my bank account the other day, and I mean, I'm not going to tell you what's in my bank account, but I'm, I'm astounded what's in my bank account. Listen, I didn't have work for a couple months last fall, which means that, you know, the church pays me a little, uh, some amount, okay? But I rely upon Corporate Home Maintenance LLC to make up the surplus. And when I don't have work for a couple months, that means I don't get a what? Distribution. It's amazing how God continues to meet my needs and pay the bills when they come in. I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense to me mathematically that I am where I am financially and that I can tell somebody, dude, I can float that $1,000. It doesn't matter. Don't, don't sweat it. You know? Uh, you know, or I can, I can, I can pay that. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll pay that. Don't worry about it. Get it to me when you can. It doesn't make sense to me that I can be able to do that. But all I can tell you is from my personal experience is that when I give to God that which he has placed upon my heart to give him, and it always starts at the first tenth. It's not less. It is never less. And I'll talk about where I'm at when we get to the next part with the offerings. But when you trust God to do that, God will always provide for your needs. He says, try me now in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke, look what it says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Do you ever wonder why the water heater goes out? It's supposed to last 15 years, but it went out in 10 years. Let me ask a question. Are you a tither? If you're not tithing, guess what? God take it. It's his. He said, you robbed him. And I, if you're not giving to me what belongs to me, I will allow the devourer to be in your field. Now, you may not be an agricultural guy. You may not own a farm. But you got, you got little things that come into your house, if you would. Sometimes they're termites. You know, we talk about the Gergesites and all these other Jebusites and everything from the Bible, but we have to worry about the termites. Okay? And we laugh. But you know what? If you're not a tither... God can allow the termites to come into the wood, and now all of a sudden you're spending thousands of dollars for somebody to come in and repair your house. It's serious stuff. You know how it says in 1 Corinthians 11? We just had communion earlier, right? In 1 Corinthians 11, when it says that some, for, you know, some are eating and drinking unworthily, and for this reason some are sick and some are even dying, do we really believe it? That's New Testament. That's not Old Testament. That was New Testament. That was Paul, you know, the, the writer of grace. He was sharing that. Do we really believe that we, when we disrespect God, that God punishes us? That God will hold us accountable? Do we really believe that when we don't live according to the standards of God, that God will hold us accountable? That's really the question. Do I have just a free reign to do whatever I want to do in life because of the grace of God? Well, Paul said about that at the end of Romans chapter 5, going into chapter 6, he says, So should I continue to sin that grace may abound? And he says what? God forbid! May it not be so! It shouldn't happen this way! Jesus Christ did not die on a cross so that I can just live however I want to live. Jesus Christ died on a cross so I could be free to live powerfully for, for him and for God without worrying about whether I'm 
inadvertently messing up a law. But when I understand the standards of God, I ought to be seeking to live according to the standards of God. God says, looky, if you don't, that devourer, he's coming into the fields. Look at verse 12. And all nations will call you what? Blessed, for you will be the delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. This is an amazing thing. Bring it into our context. Jesus says, you are the what? The light of the world. The salt of the earth. Okay? But the, the salt has lost its saltiness. What good is it other than to be cast down on the ground and to be what? Trampled on. People will see you being blessed. I shared a few weeks ago, I don't know, about a month ago now or whatever it was, the, the, the plumber's helper that was in my house. You remember when I shared about that? Who took me outside when he was done? I mean, you've seen my house. It's not a big mansion, right? Okay? And he says, Bobby says, I wish I could be as rich as you. I said, Dude, you're looking at the wrong. I don't know what house you're looking at. But he understood it. He was looking at all the other things that God had blessed me with and how rich I am. But when we take our eyes off of the blessings of God and we look at the riches of the world, we're always what? Discontent. We will never be content. But we've got to put them back on God. God will put it in such a way, he will bless us in such a way that the world begins to realize how blessed we are. And regardless of how much money they have, they want what we got. They just don't know how to get it. And when we tell them how to get it, a lot of times they balk at it because they know that it may affect, they may be that rich young ruler who Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have blessings in heaven. And they're not willing to, to do that. That's why Jesus said it's easier to be a, for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God. Okay? Well, Matthew 23, this is New Testament. I think Matthew's New Testament. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay? This is Jesus speaking. Would you say that Jesus is God? Okay, so now... I, here, 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 I'm leading you, okay? I'm, 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 I'm manipulating you. I'm leading you. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that. I'm being honest with you. So here I have God speaking to me in the New Testament. Would you agree with my analysis? Okay. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. They say, that's okay. That's Old Testament. That, that's, I mean, because Jesus is here, and these, these scribes, these Pharisees, they're expected to be t- paying tithe because they're still what? They're under the law. So get with it, Bob. Well, okay. You, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Well, we know that from, from uh, Micah, right? Where it says, He has shown me, the old man, what is good and what the Lord has required of thee, that thou shalt walk... See, I'm going to mess it up now. That thou shalt do justly and walk humbly with thy God. And I messed it up in there. Love mercy, okay? And so that's what he's referring to. He says, These you ought to have done. What? The justice, mercy, and faith without leaving the what? Others undone. Jesus is saying tithing is what? Important. It's not just the spirit of the law that's important. It's not just the faith. But now faith without works is dead. By grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But he goes on in verse 10 and says what? For we are his workmanship, created unto good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of God. He says, think not that I came into the world to destroy the law. I came into the world to fulfill the law. God's standards didn't change. Does that make sense? God says the first fruit still belongs to him. Jesus said, you need to be bringing in the the tithe. Do you know why churches don't have enough for the work of the ministry? Because people don't tithe. 
They don't trust God with their financial resources. But you don't understand the effect that that's going to have upon the economy of my house. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I give more than a tithe. Even when I don't pay myself, God put it, and I'll share this now, and we'll transition into the offerings. God placed them up on my heart a couple years ago in amount that he wanted me to give on a, on a monthly basis. It was well more than my tithe. And even if Corbin Home Maintenance LLC doesn't pay me, I'm still supposed to give that. And that's kind of rough. Because at that time, that, that percentage is really high of what I'm getting on a monthly basis. But I trust God that if God has placed upon my heart to give that, and has, in a sense, then required it of me, because he's placed it on me as a steward to do that, then he will continue to provide for my every need. And you know what? He's provided for a lot of my greeds too. A lot of my greeds as well. We don't eat rice for every meal, like many people around the world do. I've been able to do projects on my house. It's been amazing, and I'm not in debt for them. I don't have credit card debt that I'm paying off because God hasn't provided for me. God will meet your every need if you trust him with the resources that he's asked you to be a steward of. Now, I know I'm preaching hard, and I apologize. I'm not trying to offend or step on toes, but... This is my once in ten years that I preach on this thing, and I'm just going to pre- preach on it honestly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, turn with me there. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 8, we read, stated the principle which I just shared with you. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 8, Paul writes, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a hilarious, is the word, cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that always having a sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. You say, no, tithe's not in there. No, it's not in there. But the concept is, if you give bountifully, what do you think bountifully is? You think it's less than a tithe? I mean, if that was God's standard... It's certainly not bountiful to give 8%, 5%. I don't know what you give. But that's where Bob, as the mathematician, had to get off the tithe because it started to become legalism for Bob, trying to calculate a tithe, a tenth. Okay, So I just prayed to God, God, what are you going to do? I don't care what the number is. Just put it out there. I really don't want to be doing this calculating thing, so I'm making sure that I'm doing the law for you. Okay, What do you want me to give? And God purposed in my heart what I was supposed to give. And it went beyond that 10%. Okay? And so I want to challenge you in that same light. Well, there's one last thing here that we talked about, and that's offerings. Go back with me to to Exodus 35 and 36. It's an amazing, amazing account here. Now, again, I understand this is Old Testament... um, you know, this doesn't apply to us, but um, this is right at the beginning of the law, but it's not part of the law, okay? In, in Exodus 35, beginning at verse 4, we read, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to Yahweh, 
Now look what it says. Whoever is of a what? What's it say? A willing heart. Let him bring it as an offering to Yahweh, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed, dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and, and stones to be set in the ephod in the breastplate. Now, I understand he's not talking about money. They don't have a lot of money right now. They're not working. They're not earning money. What are they doing right now? What's God's work at this moment? Building a tabernacle. So he's saying, whoever is of a willing heart, bring offerings, not a tithe. He's not requiring a tithe. This is now beyond the tithe. Bring an offering to help build the tabernacle. Drop down to verse 21. I'm going to start at verse 20 for context. It says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all of its service, and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, as many as had a what? A willing heart. Do you see it? And brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all the jewelry of gold. That is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord, and every man with whom was found blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goats here, red, red skins of ram and badger skins brought to them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering, and everyone with whom found acacia wood for any of the work of the service brought it. Drop down to verse 29. The children of Israel brought a free will offering to Yahweh. All the men and women whose hearts were willing. Do you get so far what's happening here? What kind of offering is this? It's a willing offering. This is not a requirement. This is, and this is why I, I struggle because when I preach on this, okay, because I, I don't want people to start giving because Bob preached on it. Make sense? And, and you know, we're, we're going to pass a plate when I'm done. I'm putting up a, I'm going to put up the barrel up front, you know, and we're, we're now going to take the missions giving and we're not leaving until the barrel's full. There's a church in Philadelphia that does that. They they sing, roll out the barrel. Yeah, they, they made it into a, they don't sing the, 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 the beer song, but they, they made it into a mission song. And they, they, they talk about rolling out the mission barrel. And they set it up front. Now get this, they don't leave until you can see the money crossing, passing the crest of the top of the barrel. You know, on that day, there's a lot of people bringing $1 bills and trying to crinkle them going up this way. I heard of a preacher once, you know, we don't give invitations, okay, at the end, either. But I heard of a preacher once who would always put up a, a chair up front, and they weren't leaving until somebody responded to the invitation. So you know what started happening? You have the designated person who's going to go up front just so they can leave. Now that's sad. I'm not trying to make fun. That's sad. That's what? That's New Testament legalism. Do you get it? I don't want to go there. So I'm trying, you understand? This offering was a what? A free will offering. Nobody was twisting their arm. But look in chapter 36, what happens? Verse 3. And he's talking about the, the guys who were doing the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing him. The people are bringing it. They continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. I mean, every morning people are just coming. And they're given. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came each from the work which he was doing, and they spoke to Moses. They stopped the work. The people are bringing, and they're bringing, and they're bringing. They're bringing so much that the workers had to stop. They had to stop the work, and they had to go to Moses. Look what it says. 
They spoke to Moses saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and it caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And look at what it says, the very last sentence. The people were what? The people were restrained from bringing. They took away the offering basket. They said, no more giving, please. We have more than what we can use. The, we're paying the pastor. We're paying the bills. We're, we got missionaries galore. You know, there's really no more work that we can do right now. Please, don't bring the money. Give it to the Lord some other way. When's the last time you ever heard a church do that? Huh? <laughs> a lot of snickering going on. You never saw it happen. Is it maybe because the reverse is true for us as New Testament believers? Again, using the grace of God as an excuse for us to spend on ourselves. Remember I shared a few weeks ago, and I probably mentioned it again last week. Listen, Americans, you are in the top 10% of the world. You may think you're poor, but you're stinking rich. I mean, I know... You know, living in the cottage, quote-unquote, that I live in here, I can look at people in other areas of the town and say, man, I, I mean, phew, I wish I had, you know, oh, you, know, you know, well, there are people around the world who would love to have, and we make fun of certain um, ethnic groups, you know, we can say, oh, yeah, we got 20 people, 20 people living in there. You know, people look at me with seven kids and they have nine people in that house. Good grief, how does it happen? Well, bunk beds, bunk beds work. You know, it's really okay. And four boys in one room did work. It, it worked really well. And none of them really cared. You know, they're excited about having their own room every once in a while. But but four kids, Caleb, I mean, you guys got a lot of kids in one room, don't you? How many boys you got in one room? Four, is that all? I thought you guys had 20 kids. No. Oh, you got five in one room. Okay, there we go. You know what? I mean, but listen, and, and so it, it's not a matter of patting backs, okay? But it's a matter of the fact is you can do these things. It's okay. It really is okay. And God blesses those things, okay? And he works those things. So it's a willing heart. And what an awesome thing it would be if at some point in the future I had to say, take the basket away. We really have enough to meet all the needs. It would be gluttonous for us to continue to take money. I'd love to do that. That would be so awesome. The goal of taking a little extra and putting it aside would be, in my mind, the only reason to do that would be that we're going to plant another church. And we're sowing, putting money aside so we can do what? Use it to plant that church. There's no reason for us to be putting nest eggs aside if we don't have a reason for it. Does that make sense? That's, that's gluttonous of God's funds. Luke 21, verses 1 to 4, a passage you all know very well. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich, he's at the, the, the offering box there, putting in their gifts into the treasury, and he saw a certain poor woman putting in two mites. And so he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all of these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all her lively she had. This is offering. This is not just a tithe. She put in everything. She walked away that day not knowing how she was going to eat. The rich men came in, and they put in their wealth, portions of it. And everybody thought, wow, look how much they're putting in. She only put in two pennies. And Jesus said, no, you don't get it. She put in more than all those guys combined. Because she understood. She put in everything she had. It was her offering to God. They put in of their abundance. It means nothing to them. They're just paying a tax. They're just, you know, paying off God. But she showed her priority and love for God by putting everything in. Now, we're running out of some time here, so I'm going to run through these. And it says, in chapter 4, it talks about 
how the people would sell their property. There was needs within the body. And so they would sell their houses and property and bring it in. This is not tithe. This is what? Above and beyond a free will offering. There was a need. They had surplus. And they understood that God had given them the surplus as to be a steward. And they sold it off so they could bring in the proceeds and meet the needs of the body. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1-5, to you please read it at some point. We're not going to go there right now. But Paul talks about the believers who were giving. And he says, and they did this because first they gave of them selves. They gave themselves to the Lord. And when, after you give yourself, I mean, I remember when I got saved, I said to God, I said, if you could save this wicked soul, I'm yours. I didn't realize I was supposed to, wasn't supposed to give him a blank check. He took it. But you know what? It's really easy. When you finally, when you give yourself and it's a blank check and it doesn't matter what God does to you or where he sends you, your money's meaningless. I feel bad for my family sometimes because I don't know where they're at with all that. But it's easy for me to give. It's just easy. It's gone. You know? And so sometimes, and we'll talk about this next week when we get into the rest of the appropriations, I've got to check myself sometimes because I'm still responsible to provide for my, my family. Okay? But I do know that God gets the first and foremost, okay? And he gets what he puts on my heart, that the first fruits, the tithes, and then even above the tithes with the offerings that he has placed upon me. And again, like I shared, for Bob, it's well beyond the tithe, okay? I won't share what that is. And, and honestly, each month it changes because I don't get paid the same amount every month. Does that make sense? But I give the same amount every month regardless of what I, what I bring in. So in the end, Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, when he went out, he says, No other church communicated with him concerning giving and receiving. Only the Philippians did. And they sent once again unto his necessity. But then he says to them, he says, but after that, he says, But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So as we, as we roll this down, I want to ask you the questions. What does your giving reflect regarding your relationship with, with Christ? How committed to you are, support, are you supporting the work of God that you are a part of? Now, I want to share something. And this is going to sound like I'm slapping. I really don't mean this as a slap. I really don't mean this as a slap. Okay? I've really been excited with what God is doing in my life and in this church and stuff like that. And we have been praying for months now. You know, we have the music coming from the other side. I praise God that it's music that's glorifying to God, but it is very distracting. Okay? We've been praying for months about a bigger facility because we're outgrowing it. I know that doesn't look like it today, but with numerous families that we're missing, you know, there are times when we're, we have no more chairs, and there have been times when we're putting up the folding chairs. Okay? So we've been praying for a bigger facility. We just can't afford a bigger facility because we don't have the funds coming in to, to do that. And I don't know what to do. God this week gave us the facility. I'm excited. We have a field trip scheduled for 1.30 today. A couple doors down, there is a, a building that's two and a half times the size of this that's going to be rented for only $200 more. But it's got a huge warehouse in the back, 2,700 square feet. That was fun doing this one. It's going to be fun doing that one. It's got 1,500 feet up front already finished out, four offices that can be used for, for their big ones, be used for Sunday school rooms. It's got a, a, a little desk thing in a, a little entryway, you know, where we have a... It's beautiful. It is God's provision. Now, they have to agree with it, too. I mean, so he's going to meet us there, and he's got to present it all to the, the owner. But I think that he might be interested in it. I was really pumped. We had a meeting yesterday morning with um, Steve and um, Greg and, and Mark for the officers as we put together the budget. And before Steve could start with the budget process, I've got to throw a curveball I want to throw here because this is going to potentially change up how we do the budget, right? So I shared my curveball, my excitement. And Steve then says, well, honestly, I'm coming in here telling us that we have to reduce the budget by $10,000.
because we've had now some families leave, transitions and stuff like that, and we can expect to see $10,000 less unless people who are in this congregation who don't give begin to give. And I said, Steve, you just stuck a knife in my balloon. <laughs> Do you get it? I mean, honestly, if the rent is $200 more than we have now that we're paying, and if it's two and a half times the size, that means our utility bill is going to be what? Two and a half times, three times the amount that it is now. And if we're going to shrink the budget, what that just told me was, God placed this thing in my lap, our lap, and unless something changes, we're going to have to say what? No. I, I, again, I don't mean this as a guilt trip. I really don't mean it as a guilt trip. This is, this is just what happened in my life within the last 48 hours. I mean, I went to this high, and I went to this, and then I thought to myself, you know, isn't this interesting that this all happened the two days before I'm getting ready to preach on giving? I don't see any what? Coincidence. And so I don't know who gives what. I don't really care. I, I really don't care. Because my God is going to be the one who does what? Supplies the need. Okay? But I want to encourage you, if you're on that side of it, if you're struggling, are you supporting the work of God? If you believe that this is the ministry that God has you a part of, to be fed through, okay? I'm not talking about me going full-time. That's not even the issue here. I'm talking about for us to continue a wanna. I mean, as we, we looked at it, we're talking about going cutting across the board 15%. That's not just talking about my salary. Well, I'm talking about a wanna. I'm talking about... Uh, ministry items. I'm talking about bulletins, okay? Because that paper costs money, toner costs money, okay? And so if if items if, if budget gets slashed, that means what? Things that we do gets slashed because we can't slash the rent. We can, but that means that we're meeting where? Outside, someplace, your, or your house, okay? And um, so, are you honoring God in the giving of your first fruits, tithes, and offerings? Is there a need for change in the way you think? Is there a need for repentance? That's what the word metanoia means. Change the way you think. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, you are awesome. And you are the provider of all things. We know that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And so, Lord, it's not whining. I, I don't want it to be whining on my part when I share with what you have shown me in these last couple of days. I'm excited about what you're going to do. I believe by faith, Lord, that if that is the facility that we have been praying about and that people around the world have been joining us in prayer about, that, Lord, you will provide the needs for it. And so, God, I, I look forward to what you're going to do in our assembly. It's all about you and about your word. It's not about us. And, Lord, I pray that in that as well, that whether it's this facility, that facility, whatever facility, Lord, that we would understand that it is supposed to be uh, a place where where we are congregating to encourage one another and you to love and good works, that we would go out into the, the fields that are white in the harvest and that we would be able to share your love, your grace, your mercy with those who need to hear about you because of what you've done for us and how you've provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen.